Thanks for knowing where I was going with that. Isn't that just the natural progression of that noise? (laughs) According to Wiley Coyote. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. (laughs) It's mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And we're so glad that you're along with us today. (laughs) Mom's trying so hard to hype me up because I'm very tired. (laughs) She's trying to give me some of her energy. I'm trying to send it across the table. I'm throwing it. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah, I feel like if I shake my arms a whole lot, maybe Anna (laughs) will feel it. She's doing a lot of arm shaking. (laughs) Your earrings shake more. I have my dangly earrings on today. When you wear dangly earrings, every day is a celebration. I've heard that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think for me. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I had a good friend in college who, when we would be kind of down, she would say, I know, let's put on our dangly <laughs> earrings and go out and paint the town. Ooh, baby. And she knew how to do that. Some so. people, it doesn't take much to get them excited. And I like that about them. <laughs> I know. I love that. I wish I could be more like that, actually. Mm-hmm. Just be able to take the little things and be like, wow. Amazing. Yeah. Dangly earrings. There are some days I am like that. I think yeah. that's kind of my personality. Sunsets, some days. Whenever we're driving somewhere and you're like, look at the sunset. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> it happens every day. Yeah, sunsets you are big great one for joy me. in that. I do. It's I good. try. I try. You got to find the little things that you find joy in. <sighs> so what's our, you know, we always have this like beginning of the podcast bidness. Bidness. What's the bidness to attend to today? Well, the bidness is that it's episode 28. Mm-hmm. We also have a little shout out. This is kind of a special shout out to my heart because this shout out is to my kindergarten buddy. Yay! <laughs> so if you're if you are not from a school that does kindergarten and eighth grade buddies, in the grade school I went to, kindergartners and eighth graders would be like paired up. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, like, you know, once every one or two weeks, those classes would get together and we would read them books and stuff like that. So when I was in eighth grade, I had a kindergarten buddy named Ginny and she is a listener, which boggles my mind <laughs> that she's old enough to listen to this podcast. But when I told her we she We should was, card her. I was like, you're too young to listen. And she goes, I'm old enough to drink. <laughs> and I said, no. So she loves it. And she sent us a very sweet message about how we made like a task that she was doing much more uh, fun and so we're giving her a shout out because she's a fan girl and to, we love you Ginny. To add a little tag to that shout out 
that year that Anna and Ginny were buddies, I was the kindergarten teacher. So she was True. one of my students. Connected to both and of us. And then I taught her again later in life, in high school. You were just following her, waiting. I was stalking. Waiting for an opportunity. <laughs> Ginny, you didn't know this. <laughs> I was stalking because She's I like, want to. Maybe I could get in sixth grade. No, no. <laughs> Jumping in. No. Trying to get her again because she was such a good student. Yes. I know that she is going to accomplish great things. She is a lovely She's young one woman. of those people that you just see from the time they're very little and you say there's something really cool about them i keep it whenever she messages me i'm like you learned it all from watching me she's <laughs> like that must be it yeah she's a good sport kindergarten buddies <laughs> are very important all right wait there it was oh sorry i did it off mic it's i'll right. do the next one closer looked. you heard it a little bit mom's opening her second beer Woo-hoo. two beer bonnies <laughs> not yet not yet not one beer it's just one, one beer, beer bonnie, bonnie. I just, I feel like I need to mention the merch again. Oh, yeah. Just because I love that word merch. What do you want to mention about I want to say that's it's so cool. It's very cool stuff. If you haven't gone to check it out, if you need, If you need a new little workout shirt, because those little shirts that oh, like yeah, are got some tanky little, kind of tops, mm-hmm. those are really cool for like workout. Because you know me, I work out you all work the time. You work out all the time. That is, <laughs> Mom only or for sleeping in. It's good for that too. <laughs> If you want to check it out, if you go to freudiansipspod.com, there's a merch link right on the first page. So you can just click that, takes you to the site, and then buy all the things. So a lot of times we like zip that off, Freudian Sips Pod. But that's where you find everything. That's where, where you, wherever you're looking for us. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. all one word. Freudian, Freudian Sips Pod. Sips Pod. All F-R-E-U-D-I-A-N one word. R-E-U-D-I-A-N-S-I-P-S-P-O-D. Thank you. Freudian sips pod. That's kind of what I wanted you to do because oh. some of us, some of us, you Don't know, send me meta messages. When you mom, just, you just gotta say what you want. <laughs> say what you mean. That was what I wanted. Okay. <laughs> this is a very good day. I'm excited. I'm so excited today. <laughs> she really needs to what? send me some of her energy. I'm, try- I'm trying to perk you up. <laughs> I'm about to stand up to do my little cheerleader. Okay, ready, perky okay. mommy. What are we talking about today? Maybe that's why I'm so excited. I don't know. We are going to talk today about gestalt therapy, which as it unravels, is that the right word? As it unfolds, it will unravel, probably. Someone's unraveling. It's definitely going to unravel today, I have a feeling. Because it's just, we say this a lot, I've noticed, that it's such a broad topic. I mean, I think they all we are. Because I think that's just psychology. Yeah. Well, we've talked about how complex the brain is and how yeah. complex feelings are. So right. kind of if you're trying to make a psychological theory, it's going to be broad if you're trying to encompass a lot. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, though, as I was kind of reading about some some of this, that I wanted to say before we even began today, every time we talk about a theory, basically – and this is a theory for therapy, we talk about it in a certain outline. That does not mean we're going to cover everything about it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, sorry. I feel me. mom's burpy because she's drinking beer. Excuse I feel me. like at some point. It takes away the serious. She's like a very serious PSH, like, wow. Excuse me. But like, I feel like at some point we will go back and revisit 
quite a few topics. Like I feel like we we could just have like a series of Redux episodes where we yeah. go back and touch on things that are part of that theory, but that we didn't get a chance to touch on, and and part of it that maybe has changed since we touched on it because mm, like things are happens. always changing in yep. the psychology field. So I think that there's a lot that we could always go back and revisit. So that's a good disclaimer to give that just when we talk about this stuff, it is by no means comprehensive. It's by no means we are hitting all of the stuff we should probably be hitting. Right. Honestly, this podcast is ours and we just talk about what we want to talk about and what we think is fun. <laughs> and if you don't like it, go to Wikipedia. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's just meant to whet your appetite. Yes. And then go do further research. Don't do further research. And don't. report hey, back to hey, us. Don't. Hey, we did this so you don't have to. Don't. <laughs> okay. So where do we start with Gestalt? Uh, I guess we can start with the history. Da, da, da. That's what That's I do. Anna's job. I we do should that. have a little theme music for history. A little. That's the history music. Okay, I'm going to cut that out and use it every single time, and then you're going to ask me not to. Because <laughs> I could probably never do it the exact same way. So. That's okay. I, I, I specifically didn't talk so we would have a clean audio cut of that. <laughs> It scares me that you hold my life in we your got hands. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's what editors do. Hold your life in their hands. Okay, I've been a little too silly to begin. So I'm going to calm down now. I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> While you talk about the history, because history is exciting it's stuff. Exciting stuff. So I guess the basic, to kind of give a primer on what gestalt therapy is is that Gestalt therapy has two basic ideas. The first is that experience of the present moment is vital, and that the second is it's only possible to know ourselves in the context of our relationship to others. Now, I say those two things. The first one is pretty solid. The Mm -hmm. first one is pretty constant in all of Gestalt therapy. The second one, there's going to be some contradictory notes. Mm -hmm. So just bear with us while we try to unpack this along with you. It's going to be a journey. We're all going to go on together. (laughs) But mom will will talk more about kind of the basic concepts and the basic what Gestalt therapy is. Now, I do need to clarify. Gestalt therapy is not gestalt psychology i know that's very confusing and i use them interchangeably i'm going to try very hard not to say gestalt psychology here because they're different ideas right gestalt therapy deals with how the brain perceives things mainly visual things as a whole and that's what gestalt actually means gestalt means whole or wholeness our brains are programmed to see wholeness so this ties in a lot with optical illusions so you know the optical illusion where it could be either like a bunny or a duck yeah that's gestalt psychology because we're Mm. looking at the whole thing and we're kind of processing it in two different ways but if we take the separate parts of it it can be different things Mm-hmm. But that ties into kind of what gestalt psychology. I'm not going to go too far into gestalt psychology because I don't. It's not. That's not what we're talking about. So that's gestalt psychology. Yes. Okay. Yes. The that more what, concrete of how the brain perceives things. Right. Not the like wholeness. feelings and mm-hmm. stuff. Right. This concept did influence the development of gestalt therapy, but a lot of other things also led to the development of gestalt therapy, like Eastern religion, psychoanalysis, experimental theater. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's going to get weird, guys. (laughs) Among many other Mm -hmm. things. So there's just a lot. We're just throwing stuff (laughs) at the wall and seeing what sticks here. So let's start in the middle of the 20th century at the development of gestalt therapy. 
uh, I will be talking mainly about the figures that kind of spearheaded the movement, Fritz and Laura Pearls. Mm-hmm. So You know what this reminds me of? What? <laughs> like when you go on a tour, you know, like on a tour bus or whatever, and you're like, we are going down this main road, and I will be talking now about the house on your right. <laughs> And, and you're and if like, you look to your and left. You, yeah, that's how you're doing it. Like you're taking us on a little tour. A tour of we the will start therapy. here, and we are going to look to our left. Or it's like when you're in, because um, you're listening to it with your earphones. I assume it's like when you're on a guided audio tour in a yeah. museum, and you go to each exhibit, and you click like A12, and they're like. The history of Gestalt psychology starts in the mid-20th century. I think you should use that voice. <laughs> the whole thing? Okay, here we go. No, 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 please. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted Stop asking you. for things if you don't I want would... those things to happen. <laughs> I was just overwhelmed. I had to share in the moment. Okay. In the moment. In the moment. Ah! Ah! Oh, that was bad. That was very Gestalt. <laughs> So, as a quick biography, Fritz Perls grew up in Berlin in the late 1800s and early 1900s and was exposed to a lot of Expressionism and Dadaism, which are mainly art movements, and they're kind of surreal, <laughs> nonsensical. So, that played a part in the development of Gestalt therapy. So, then we skip ahead, where Fritz served in the German army during World War I and was wounded. So, oh after the war, he was trained as a medical doctor and eventually worked with brain-injured soldiers. Wow. Yeah. Is his given name Fritz? No, it's like Frederick. Frederick or something? Frederick. Okay, I like Fritz. I just didn't I know, know if somebody would actually... I know, I keep calling him Fritz because I like that better. Yeah, let's just call him Fritz. I'm good with that. I just thought, boy, if that was a given name, that's kind of cool. If you ever have any kids, you should name one of them Fritz. Fritz? That's all right by my husband. <laughs> so, I'm pretty sure he will veto was, that, by the way. It was Friedrich Salomon Pearls. Oh, thank you. I'm so, going to call him Fritz. That's So funner. Fritz was a doctor. I'm impressed. Fritz was a doctor. Okay. And he eventually became a psychiatrist after going through psychoanalysis. He was an assistant at Frankfurt University where he met Laura Posner, who would later become his wife, and she had a doctorate in gestalt psychology. Mm. So she was kind of in that, the wholeness perception thing. They fled Europe to South America in 1933 to escape Nazism. And then after World War I, the couple emigrated to New York City. And this is where they worked together to create Gestalt Therapy, with Fritz writing papers on the subject, which were not received well. (laughs) People didn't like them. People really hated them, actually. And he was sort of like, you know what? I'm going to write a book, and then you'll all be sorry. (laughs) He just People were like, this is bogus? And he was like, no, it's the best. If I put it in a book, it'll be real. Yeah. (laughs) If it has like a cover. Because papers aren't real. But he did persist. He ended up publishing a book, Gestalt Therapy, Excitement and Growth in the Human Personality, which he Hmm. co-authored with some other people, uh, Goodman and Hefferline. But also Laura wrote some of the chapters, and she did not get credit for them. Huh. (laughs) So About when would that have been? Oh, 1950, 1951-ish. Okay. In 1952, the Pearls founded the first Gestalt Institute in their Manhattan apartment. (laughs) Oh my gosh. <laughs> Come to our home. Come to our home. We will teach you Gestalt therapy. <laughs> Invite you into our home. It gets weirder. So a man named Isidore Frum, F-R-O-M, Frum, oh, like the word, um. yeah, was a client of Fritz and then later a client of Laura. And then they made Frum a trainer in Gestalt therapy and gave him patience. 
Wow. I don't think that's very Coming good practice. Coming up through, the, ra- through the ranks. That's not how therapy... Listen, It doesn't you, follow the ethics of if today. If you're not in therapy and you're like expecting to go to therapy and if you do super good in therapy, they'll make you a therapist, <laughs> that's not how it works. This is That would be kind of cool though, but yeah. <laughs> you know, you are so good at this. Why I'm don't you just, just give you an office down the hall? Yeah, you just come on up. <laughs> that's not how people usually do it. Actually, Frum ended up being a big name in Gestalt therapy. He was seen as a very Hmm. gifted clinician. So, Hmm. good job, Isidore. Yeah. You did great. You won therapy. You won. You did it. You did the best at therapy. Apparently. (laughs) Uh, One of the main ways the Gestalt Institute trained clinicians in Gestalt therapy happened in experiential groups. So these weren't really group therapy or like training groups. So like when mom and I went through grad school, we were in a T group is what they called it. It's a training group. That is when we were in group therapy class, we were in a T group, which is a group therapy with our classmates. Right. That's, That's what they called it. This wasn't that. This was something distinct from that. So it was not what we would think of as group therapy or a training group. It's it's neither of those things, really. So Fritz and Laura led the groups in a really kind of unstructured way. Often they would do something called a hot seat technique, where they would grab a person from the group and work with them in front of the rest of the group. So in front of an audience. Oh, my. Yeah. And it wasn't really, they weren't engaging the rest of the group. But for, they're all client people? I mean, they're just... No, they're, they're people who are training in Gestalt therapy. They're training. Okay, I'm it sorry. Is, it's, it is for training. I lost track They're there. teaching people how to do Gestalt therapy. Okay. But... Well, it, in a way, that's kind of what happened in classes sometimes. That yeah. one of us would be... Remember, sometimes we would kind we would of be up called and up and yeah, do a... Situations. Yeah, which was rather uncomfortable. Yeah, if we you were like being that. yourself. We never liked those nights. No. We would we always... Were all, everybody looked down every, so they wouldn't oh get picked. Oh, my God. And every time, like... <laughs> Like our teachers would be like, maybe next week we'll do a role play. And then the oh. next week we'd be like tearing our eyeballs out of their sockets, just like horrified, waiting for this. And then the, do this. the night would pass and it wouldn't happen. We'd be like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank you. But this was kind of that. Hot seat. Times okay. 100. Because I think it was actually, they were, it wasn't like a role play exercise. No, they were being themselves. They were actually yeah. doing it. So they wouldn't really engage the rest of the group for like group dynamics. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They were do just it like watching. That. They were just yeah. It was just a demonstration basically. Okay. So in the 1960s, Fritz ended up leaving Laura. <gasps> mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I know, and going to California. Like leaving, leaving. Like I don't want to be married to you, or just like leaving. I'm going on a trip. I couldn't find. Huh. He stayed in California until his death. So oh, I, he I was think just leaving, leaving. leaving. <laughs> Because she was smarter than him and it used to but piss Laura, him off. <laughs> kinda. That's kind of the feeling I get. I don't I don't want to crap on Fritz too much. I do like his name. I don't know him. But he seemed like a guy going through a midlife crisis and he went to his own psychology thing. So I'm going to go to California. Goodbye. And Laura kept the Gestalt Institute going in Manhattan. And in she, her apartment. Yeah. In her, <laughs> well, when you say it like that, it, it almost sounds weird. It's a little creepy. It's a little weird. No, she like kept the groups going like she led them okay. on her own. So they sort of just I don't had, need you, Fritz. Had this, well, Fritz sort of was like, <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> He left. Once he hmm. got to California, Fritz began working with Jim Simkin, a psychotherapist who, again, was a client of Fritz and then a co-therapist. Fritz just thought that was how therapy worked, I guess. 
Fritz had not read the ethical code. Fritz didn't really know how this worked. <laughs> and then they began leading workshops and training for Gestalt therapy. Hmm. And this was where there was controversy. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. It was actually Isidore Frum who referred to some of the workshops that these two were doing as hit-and-run therapy. Oh. Fun name, right? Because the workshops seemed to focus more on what he called showmanship rather than therapy. Ah. He, he would say that the clients who went to these workshops and were brought up to do this stuff were not being cared for correctly and mm. that they were just, just sort of... And that could be damaging. If you were really Really. pouring yourself out in that hot seat. If you went up there expecting therapy and then they were just sort of used. Because what Fritz claimed was that the workshops were more about demonstrating key concepts and they weren't supposed to be complete therapy. Hmm. But the damage was already done when Frum kind of claimed that. So Mm. there was this schism of what the things I read called West Coasters who thought like Gestalt was more than therapy, was a way of life. Mm. And east coasters who were like no we do no we do this in the office and it's not what are you talking about stop it Hmm. was basically the east coast thing so it was it was this kind of split where and mom and i talked about this before we started recording there's a lot of conflicting ideas in gestalt when you look up gestalt so some of the things we say may not sound coherent it's because they're not Mm -hmm. it's because gestalt itself kind of got split into two different groups and Ah. that those two groups looked very different in how they approached it And also there's just, besides the groups, there were just a lot of people that were involved that were trained directly with the clinicians and then kind of went off to develop their own thing in relation to it. It just kind of went in a whole bunch of spider webby ways. Mm Mm-hmm. And really, uh, Gestalt is sort of this Frankenstein therapy. Like, speaking of that, it's it's that a lot of names are associated with this, and all of them look at it in a different way, and they ran with it in a different way. It's just very broad. Nowadays, Gestalt therapy is not used exclusively very much. It was kind of replaced around the time of the schism. It was replaced with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more focused on replacing thoughts and behaviors. Mm. And so it was kind of replaced with that. Although I do know some people who would I would say probably call gestalt. Yeah. yeah, maybe not. Maybe not that specific. I don't know. But we well, sure learned I, a lot about But gestalt. you and I talked about that. We both we both use yeah. some of the ideas, some of the, the techniques from this. So yeah. So I'm not going to like go through a list of the names that were associated with this. I mean, there's just a lot and they all have different. Like I saw Carl Rogers as one who influenced the development of someone's take on gestalt psychology mm-hmm. a lot of hot takes in gestalt <laughs> so there was there was just a lot of conflicting kind of information but that's kind of the history the basic history well we talked about how when you do research on on gestalt that you see the word experimental yeah and what was the other word experiential okay and so we talked about how it kind of leads you to believe that a lot of what was happening is what you said earlier, throwing it and seeing what sticks, you know, mm-hmm. that there was a lot that happened. That's the experimental part. Right. So like experimental kind of has some different connotations to it. One of them is we're going to do this in a lab and it's mm-hmm. going to be very structured and very good. The other is kind of entirely opposite of that. It's like we're going to try a whole bunch of shit <laughs> yeah. and we're going to see what works. Yeah. And ooh, ooh, I thought of this yesterday <laughs> while I was taking a shower. Let's try it. the client today. That's what, that's the kind of definition yeah. that the Gestalt therapy is using. Exactly. Okay. So can you Should tell we move us, into some like concept yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah, tell us about what Gestalt therapy 
in general looks like. Okay, well, gestalt therapy is basically considered an existential experiential, which is what we just talked about, form. Lots of E words. Yes, of psychotherapy. We haven't really, we, we need to do a podcast about just existentialism. We do. Because that's pretty. Yeah, that's kind of what we both are. Well, I was going to say we value that. Yeah. Um, even though we're both person-centered and humanistic, we both do also consider ourselves. During our grad school program, we had to kind of choose what we were. Right. And we both ended up like choosing the two vaguest and largest <laughs> groups that were right. like humanistic and existential. And it's like. And I thought it was interesting it. because. As I recall, like on the form, one of us put humanistic existentialist and the other one put existential humanist. Right. Yeah. Right. And I did it the opposite way. Yeah. So basically, um, gestalt therapy is very, it's very similar to person-centered therapy, which is humanistic. They would stress things like the unconditional acceptance of the client and the idea of using empathy and understanding and all of that good stuff that we use in humanistic. But I would say that this is, kind of goes back to what Anna said before about one of the main ideas is the idea of being present in the moment, which we're going to keep going back to over and over again, but also that idea of you can't really deal with what you're dealing with unless you look around and realize the context of what's going on in your environment with the people around you. However, and this is what Anna said before <laughs> too, there's this kind of double, like on, a, the, other on hand, the other hand, it also talks a great deal about how basically, and this is very existential, that we are so responsible for our, we have to take ownership of our own choices and that when we want to figure out life, we got to look inward at ourself. I think both are true though. I think I agree. I, I think like to take ownership of our own stuff, we need to know if what's going on around us is out of our control. And if it's not, if it's something that we're choosing, we need mm-hmm. to face that. Exactly. But if it's something that we just kind of we're rolling with the punches and it's like, oh, I hate how I'm responding to this. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I guess we can choose how we respond to it. But you need to acknowledge that there are just some things that you're going to have to deal with. Right. Because that's what life is. Exactly. And so it's it's hard to know where the context ends and the control begins. That's a very good way to say it. And Anna stressed the idea of wholeness. And I, I kind of always go, because this is what I do, I always go toward the spiritual side. That's just kind of yeah. who I am. So for me personally, when I think about wholeness, that's a very spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that we have a design to be the best we can be, to be whole and to have balance and all that. And that that is a very spiritual thing. That's who yeah. we're created to be. However, when I was looking, I didn't really find anything about spirituality on Gestalt. It was all just kind of, this is the way our brains are made, that we're made to think in wholeness. So it was rooted in the Gestalt psychology, which was more kind of neurological based. Right. And there was that brief mention of Eastern religion, kind of, when you were giving your rundown. But that, it was very... But I didn't find many specifics on that. That's where my brain goes when I hear wholeness. I think, you know, to be whole. Being connected with the universe. And and to be, for me personally, the wholeness comes with being in balance with God and what God has designed my life to be. That's wholeness. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily what they're talking about. It could be. I don't know. They didn't specify that. I don't know. I I don't know if it connects much to like a greater purpose in Gestalt therapy or Mm -hmm. Gestalt psychology. 
because it's mainly kind of internal. It's you have to find Just a wholeness me. within yourself, right? And an internal consistency. I don't know if they talked much about being like. I mean, they talked about being connected to others. I don't know if they talked about like a higher purpose or anything. I didn't see it anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere. One of the big things that you will always see when you read on Gestalt is here and now. And that's the like the little phrase that you'll yeah, hear. Yeah, that's like the... And we use that. It's like a little punchline, you know, the here and now. The sound bite. And that is very specific to Gestalt that we deal with what's going on right now in therapy. And I'm going to kind of launch into that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk first of all about when you hear that, it's like, okay, that means we don't even think about the past. So well, what if when I was a kid, I had this stuff and I go to therapy and you're talking about the here and now, but I really need to deal with this stuff. It doesn't mean that your therapist never deals with the past, but the way that a gestalt therapist would deal with it is how does the past affect affect the here and now? Exactly. You know, how does what happened when you were a kid affect the way you're dealing with life right now? I think that's something that when we were learning about gestalt therapy Mm -hmm. in school Mm -hmm. really threw me because there was such an emphasis on like the past doesn't mean you shouldn't focus on the past. Don't talk about the past. Don't talk about the past. And so I was always like, that does not, that does not click with me. That does not register with me. What you just said was perfect. Like that registers to me way better because the things that have happened in our life continue to affect us absolutely i mean that's where we've talked a lot about like anxiety triggers and trauma Mm -hmm. triggers like it's not that there's current trauma it's that trauma that you have experienced in the past is affecting you now in in how you relate to the world around you currently exactly and if you're aware of how you do that it's going to help you move forward. That's exactly right. So again, if you would go to a therapist who thinks of themselves as as a gestalt therapist, it doesn't mean they would never let, I don't know that you would ever find somebody like that, first of all. But if you did, it doesn't mean they won't let you talk about the past, but they will refocus you right. onto how is that affecting who you are now. And this is even, we use this, and I know I do, and I'm sure you do too, Anna. We've talked about it before, that while you're sitting with a client, you know, you are aware of what they're doing with their body. We had a whole episode about our nonverbal communication. That's kind of the here and now stuff. Mm-hmm. So if a client is talking to you about something, but their body is, is telling you something else, that you actually, in the moment, but you my stop. Body, my body is telling me yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure what was happening there. I thought maybe you were having some kind of out-of-body experience. You know? <laughs> episode 11 is nonverbal, by the way. Okay, thank Go you. listen to that one. It's fun. <laughs> that is a good one. So in the moment with the client, you say things like, okay, I see that you're, you know, bouncing your leg right now. Does that mean that, what does that mean? I think that means you're nervous. What do you think it means, you know? I have this little, little guy who, when I say something he doesn't like, he'll do this like twitchy, like his eye will like, one of his eyes will like <laughs> wink really hard. Uh-huh. And he'll like, like he'll keep eye contact and just like really just exaggerated twitch. Uh-huh. And I mean, he's kind of young, so I don't really do the here and now as much, but I'm always like, uh-huh. Yeah, he just didn't like what I said or said. So I, I do find myself focusing a lot on what the client is doing and what their unconscious signals are telling me. Right. One of the things that we did in grad school was to watch some videos of Fritz mm-hmm. um, actually having therapy with people. And Fritz was kind of <laughs> known. Yeah, he was kind of known for being very confrontational and challenging with his clients. But one of the things that he would always do is like really deal with the here and now and like call clients out on stuff. And clients would get pissed off. I think there's a way to do that that's more gentle than the way yeah. he did it. He was kind of abrasive. <laughs> he was abrasive. I think that's a good word for it. Because when I call people out on what they're doing, I'm like, 
I noticed that you're kind of, you know, you use the jiggling your leg example. I have some mm-hmm. people who do that. I noticed you're doing this. Can you tell me about that? Like, I, I think there is a way to handle that in a way that is compassionate and that, like, I want to understand that instead right. of being like, hey, asshole, you're jiggling your leg. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, I know you're nervous. Stop it. Hey, hey, stop being nervous, <laughs> idiot. Like, Fritz, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Fritz had some issues. Fritz had some stuff he needed to unpack, <laughs> and we don't have time to go into that. That's very true. <laughs> it comes to mind one of the things that I know that I sometimes deal with with clients in the here and now is inappropriate, for lack of a better term, inappropriate affect. So, like you're telling when a very are like laughing. Yeah, they're like telling bad. something traumatic, and they laugh, or or you know they're or crying they like shrug, when they're telling like whatever. Yeah. And, and you kind of do have to unpack and you call them on it yeah. and you say, you know, why, why is it, you know, and then you unpack and you process how that's part of your defense mechanism and that's what you've learned from your mom or whatever, you know. So that's kind of how we deal with the here and now. I do Oof. that with anger a lot, like when someone's really angry about something that seems like a very small issue. Yeah, why does that to be, upset yeah, you so much? Why are you so angry right yeah. now? What's going on? Yeah, that's a really good one. Out of proportion anger. Yeah. So I think I think I'll stop there for now because I think that the idea of finding balance, of holding yourself accountable, knowing that you have these choices and yet you are connected to your environment. We kind of go all over the map, don't yeah. we? But the biggie is wholeness and living in the present moment. How is how are things affecting me right now and how do I want them to affect me and how can right. I deal with it better? But some of the techniques that he used are really Interesting, and I do use a couple of them. So let's talk about techniques. Let's, because I do think you use them more than I do. But I think I do too. I found some that I do kind of identify with when I was when I was doing the research. So the first one is actually one I'm not going to talk too much about because we talked about it a little bit in some of our other episodes. Uh, in episode seven and eight, we talked about dreams, and we taught we had a whole bit about how gestalt therapists a whole it, bit it was a bit da, 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 it da, was da. it was definitely a goof <laughs> i made you make up a dream and then i made you do gestalt about it so it's not really dream interpretation although it sort of flows from that because the gestalt therapy was influenced heavily by he psychoanalysis right he had his roots there right so there's some element of dream interpretation but it's like if you took dream interpretation and experimental theater and smash them together. That's kind of... It, that's all gestalt therapy is. You take a concept and you smash it with experimental <laughs> theater. That's all it is. There's there's just a lot of acting things out when it comes uh-huh. to how, how gestalt therapists handle dream work. Uh, basically, they think that different parts of the dream are different aspects of the individual and their situation. And so the client is asked to become each part of the dream. So, like, you're sitting in the therapy session and they say, become the canoe. <laughs> There's a... <laughs> Mom tried really hard to find this. I did, I could, did. I couldn't find couldn't. it. We watched, like, <laughs> when we were learning about gestalt therapy in school, we watched this video of someone talking about a dream where there was, like, a canoe. They he were was in, in a canoe. They were in a canoe, yeah, yeah, floating down the river. And the therapist who was... Wait. Oh, did you get it? It was very good. Okay. Sorry. Mom, I had to start on my third Shut up. I had to start on my Shut third up. beer during the canoe dream. Okay. Okay, that is a good time to start on your third beer. <laughs> we might need another beer for the canoe dream. The canoe dream. And so it's like I was floating down this river on this canoe. 
And the Gestalt therapist was like, okay, now I want you to be the canoe. Describe how you're feeling. Describe what's going on. Describe your sensations. And it's like, and then I want you to be a rock in the river and, da, 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 and do this and do that. And now I want you to be the river and I want you to describe. And so like you have to go So through. it's very experimental. I can never say there. that word. Experimental. Experimental and ex- It's both. Yeah, experiential. Experiential. That's the word I can ever... You know, there's always one word. Every podcast I, I can't I, say. That's the one I can't I say. I have a hard time with the experiential thing when it comes to dreams. Yeah, but you're being the canoe. That's pretty freaking experiential. I, experiential to me is in the in the moment. Yeah. And this is your recalling a dream. Yeah, okay. Dreams aren't very easy to recall. That's true. But it's in the moment that you're trying to... I don't know. I guess. There's a weird line there. Yeah, I guess. I didn't make it up. You didn't I, make it up. Let's just say whatever. It's it very up. weird. Yeah, I've had some really weird, la- weird dreams lately. I don't think I'd want to be. <laughs> don't embody those. Do not let them go. But just the basic theory is that if you do embody the different parts of the dream, if you're like at a circus and it's like embody the elephant. <laughs> Like, be the elephant. What is the elephant feeling right now? What are you feeling as the circus clown? You know, it's like, you'll you'll be able to, the theory is by embodying these different parts of the dream that you'll learn more about the different sides of your personality and develop your Mm -hmm. self-awareness, which is a big thing, Gestalt, just developing your self-awareness. That's true. Which is something that we identify with. All the time. If you have listened to our other episodes, you know that self-awareness is our big thing. So we do identify with that. One that I use pretty often is called amplification or exaggeration. The client is asked to amplify an action or a feeling or an expression that they're having so that they become more aware of it and they become uh, more conscious of what they're doing and that the action becomes more conscious instead of unconscious, basically, which seems very Freudian as well. Uh, Very. There's psychoanalysis for you, too. So I did this with a client. It was only when someone else was in the room. She had someone else from her life in the session. And when I said something to her that was a little challenging and that was saying like, hey, maybe you should try to like not have so many responsibilities or whatever. She like puffed her cheeks out. (laughs) And I said, don't puffer fish. I said, I'm just trying to help. Don't puffer fish at me. And she like burst out laughing. And she goes, do I do that? And I said, you're doing it right now. And she's like, I've never, and she kind of looked over to the other person and they were like, yeah, you did all the time. (laughs) And so she became aware of it. And now every once in a while, when I challenge her again, she'll like puff her fish very deliberately and like look in my eyes and be like, I'm doing the thing. (laughs) And so she's becoming more aware of it and what that means about how she's reacting to what I'm saying, which I think is important. I think it's important that she knows what those unconscious things that she's doing inform how she's reacting to something. Well, you and I talked about before the podcast today about past podcasts that sometimes when I get overwhelmed with information, like there's too much information to share and I do some kind of weird like, you can do it better uh, than me. You're like, and you told me that sometimes you edit those out because I do it a lot. (laughs) You do a lot. But... I would like to say, now that I'm self-aware, I won't do it. But honestly, I will. Because it's like, I know that's what I do. It kind of comes in stages where you like, you're unaware that you're doing it. And then someone calls you out on it. Uh-huh. And then you do it. You keep doing it. But then you'll go, oh, I did the thing. I just did that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And then We all got stuff. Everybody's yeah. got stuff. We've all got those those poker tells yeah. that we hear about. So. Yeah. That's exactly right. 
But it's it's kind of fun because people will do it kind of automatically in session if I call them out on something. They will either stop dead and they will never do it again. And if they do, they'll react very badly to it. Mm-hmm. Or they'll 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 amplify it themselves and they'll kinda right. that's what I did when I did the puffer fish thing. Uh-huh. That she did it again in a more exaggerated way, and then we kind of were able to process right. why she was doing it. I would like to think that as therapists, when we call out the here and now stuff, it's not always like you're doing this thing you shouldn't do. No, not no, at no, all. No. It's because just those do are you part know the, us. right? Do you and and a lot of those things we should embrace and say, yeah, yeah I do that. That's who I am. Yeah, it's just and it's just part of self awareness, right? Yeah. Right, and we and we should embrace our uniqueness and our little quirks and whatever. Yeah. That makes us who we are. Can I take a break? Yes. Good. Sorry, we are taking a break. (laughs) We will be right back. Hey, Sipsters. Are you enjoying Freudian Sips? (gasps) Mom, did you hear that? They said they are. (laughs) You are? That's great. Well, I have great news. Now you can get paid to listen to us. I know that sounds insane, but it's true. Oh, Anna, we don't say that word. Oh, in- insane? But it's it's in the copy. It's <laughs> Anyway, you're right. There's an app called Podcoin that pays you to listen to us and other podcasts too. It's on iPhone and Android and it's super free and simple to use too. With this app, you listen to podcasts and earn pod coins, as the name would suggest. Then you can turn these pod coins into gift cards to places like Amazon or Starbucks. Or if you want to feel good deep down in your soul, you can donate those coins to charity too. Okay, so here's how you get in on this sweet, sweet deal. Go download the Podcoin app on iPhone or Android, and if you use the code FREUDIAN, you even get 300 extra Podcoins just for signing up. It's so great. Then you just start listening to podcasts, and if you listen to enough Freudian sips, (laughs) you get a Starbucks coffee on us. You're welcome. (laughs) This is going to change the way you listen to podcasts. It did for us. Hello, welcome back. If I end up cutting that. <laughs> if I do. If I do. Okay, we're talking about techniques. Let's. Okay, so the next one is kind of a meta technique. Uh, it's within the context of therapy, it's kind of the use of language that Gestalt therapists use. And they, I mean, as we've kind of talked about, they use a lot of present tense language. So even if they're having you tell a story they'll kind of have you tell it in present tense Mm -hmm. they want to bring you into the present moment with it Uh, they use language that highlights a collaborative client therapist relationship that's big to them Uh, it's not like especially like psychoanalysis and stuff use the therapist is the master and you're kind of there as a subordinate but gestalt therapists wanted to separate themselves from that so Mm. they did not want that to be the impression that the clients got I statements are heavily promoted to promote clients' ownership of their feelings and the things that are happening. And there's just this encouraging, like a responsibility of words kind of, Mm -hmm. and taking responsibility of your emotions and your thoughts and your behaviors. So clients recognize and accept what they're feeling and doing and all that kind of stuff. Responsibility is big. One of the videos that I watched was the client was talking about being angry but the way she was saying it was like the anger, the, mm. the, and he kept calling her on it. Say Instead of anger. saying, yeah, say, say I am angry. I am angry, you know? yeah. Yeah, take ownership of it. But you know, then I thought, Anna, is that kind of like the opposite of that one theory that says, 
you know how you put the problem well, out there. That's what I was there. just going to say that I have. It kind of depends on the person. Yeah. I have definitely found clients that I think they need to take more responsibility. But I've right. also worked with clients where there is some benefit in going, this is not you. Right. You are not your problem and we need to separate you from right. that. Right. So I think it kind of depends on if they're internalizing or externalizing too much. Right. That you know which way to go. And I think that would be specifically like if you had been diagnosed as bipolar. Yeah. Or... Um, you had some kind of diagnosis and to hold that diagnosis out that you are not bipolar right it is your diagnosis it's right. kind of out here yeah. yeah yeah I mean I think there is a balance between those things that mm-hmm. you are able to take responsibility but you're not defined by it that's a good way to say it and like you can I mean if we're talking about the wholeness piece you're mm-hmm. able to see that that is just a part of you and the whole is bigger Mm-hmm. And you're able to see that the whole is not just bipolar or whatever it is. And you're able to move past that. Whole W-H. <laughs> you're not talking about your holes. You're not. <laughs> Sorry, 14-year-old Bonnie Thanks, came Mom. out. <laughs> Two-beer Bonnie yes, is 14. 14. Which is totally wrong. I didn't drink when I was 14. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. You revert back. Is that what it happens? The, the next one's role playing. Uh, this is where you bring out some dice and the therapist becomes the dungeon master <laughs> and you straight up play D and D. I wish that was true. I wish I actually do want to do an episode. Of, hey, I if you're listening to this and you're a therapist who does like D and D therapy, contact us because I want to do a whole episode and I want to do have it in an interview. I, I want to make it happen. But no, that's actually not oh, what this is. No, not um, this time. But it is kind of what it sounds like. It's where the client, either the client alone or the client and the therapist, take on different roles and kind of play out different scenarios. A common one that just the client engages in is called top dog underdog, where the client takes on roles of two different kind of warring sides of their personality, and they act out what I'm going to term as the two sides fighting for dominance. Mm. So it's like if you are, maybe if you're like a really meek person, and so the top dog underdog, the top dog would be like this meekness in this like wanting to keep everyone happy and the underdog would be like the desire to assert yourself and and get what you want Mm -hmm. and so you would have to play out these two different aspects of your personality the the meekness versus the assertiveness and kind of determine why one of them is being more dominant when you should have more of a balance cool it's kind of cool right i like that i like it a lot it's kooky it's kooky. <laughs> it's all of experimental. These, all of these gestalt therapy, like I think that's why gestalt therapy is not as big as it is because mm-hmm. like we've talked about, the concepts are pretty sound. Right. I mean, the concepts of like focusing on the present moment and how things are affecting Wholeness. you now and, yeah. and whole, that's all great. Yeah. But the techniques are so off the wall that I think people are just turned off by it. I think it did not stick with a lot of people because of that. And another... Common role play exercise is empty chair. <laughs> Tell us about empty chair, mom. I actually use empty chair. I, I have used it with this several clients. Yes, I get very excited about this. And not only that, but when we were in master uh, master classes, <laughs> is that the right word? <laughs> I became a master. When, when we were mastering. <laughs> One of the things that you do when you're training to be a clinician is sure. that you you practice therapy on each other, basically. And the person who was my therapist, so to speak, 
did empty chair on me. Oh, I forgot. And that. it was actually very powerful because yeah. you know you're in those moments where you're like, this is so dorky. Yeah. And you're not really taking it seriously. But I really got caught up in it, and it was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, he was very dramatic. And, I do, have and I to, didn't really I do like him as a therapist. I have to couch that if I ever do these kind of techniques with a client. I have to be like, this is going to be weird. Yeah, I always do that. It's going to be weird. And you're going to think that. it's weird, but yeah. we're going to do it because it's only us in the room. Who cares right. if it's Nobody weird? Nobody else is going to see it. And I always explain to them, this is a technique that has been used by therapists for a long time. Yeah. Like, I'm not just making this It's just not mine. It's not mine. <laughs> Don't blame me for this. Bonnie's not flipping out. <laughs> so you Bonnie basi- didn't make this up. <laughs> right. So you basically do exactly what it says. You have an empty chair. You literally have an empty chair there. And you explain to the client that they need to project into that chair either another person, like maybe their boss or their spouse or a child, you know, one of their kids, a parent, any of those things into that chair. And then they're going to be talking to that person in the chair. They can also project a part of themselves into that chair. And that yeah, kinda, there's several ways to do it. Right. That's almost like the top dog that seems, yeah, thing. That seems you know, simple. where you put, you know, my inability to be assertive, you know, oh, my yeah, mousiness yeah, 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 in yeah. that chair or my hurt self. So, you okay, know. so this is where if we're doing the wholeness shtick, uh-huh. that seems like externalizing. Very much. I mean, that's that's just... But then ideally what happens is after the conversation, then it becomes... Oh, old. you just like you integrate become it. Right, exactly. Integrate. That's a great word, Anna. Thanks. That's Good job. You, that's what you do for dissociative identity disorders. You that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So the idea is that you are giving this person the opportunity to speak to this either this person, like their spouse or their boss or whatever, an abusive parent, or a part of themselves in order to first and foremost to vent the things that maybe they don't have the courage to do with those people. Right. And and to be able to vent that and get it out. There are a couple of different like takes on this technique. You can have the client particularly just sit and talk to the chair the whole time. Or there's another technique where you can have the client be in the in their own seat and then they switch places and go over and sit. They literally get up and go over and sit in the other chair and become the other person or the other part of themselves. I think as the clinician, that would say a lot more about what's going on. Because if you have them be like a boss or right. a spouse or a family member and they go over and become that person, mm-hmm. like the way that they act out that person is going to tell you so much about how they're feeling about that person. Exactly. That's fun. That is fun. That is fun. (laughs) There is some fun in this. So it is to um, increase their awareness of what's going on in their life. But it also, ideally, it allows people to reconnect parts of themselves that perhaps they've minimized or ignored or denied. So that would be that when you put that other part of yourself in the chair. And you need to try to integrate it. I know that I I do use this. I've used it several times. Mm -hmm. I had one experience with a client where she had been abused by her father and we put her father in the chair. And honestly, I have to share that the first time we did it, she couldn't do it. Mm. She kind of pulled in and started crying and and I finally just said, we don't have to do this yet. It's not time yet. But then about three months after that initial experience I said to her, do you think we could maybe try that again? And she wanted to. Oh. And then man, whoa. <laughs> you know, she she cussed him out and Wow. I mean it was good. It was good stuff. Yeah. And and I could see that it was very emotional and everything, but I could see that it helped. And I was just thinking this actually as I was doing this research. Um, because we did uh, a couple episodes ago we talked about the loss of my husband. 
And I was thinking to myself, self, (laughs) I was thinking I should do this and put Bob in the chair, my my husband who's passed, and just kind of talk to him about how sad I am that he's gone and also about how I'm a little angry that he left when I didn't think he was going to leave. And so I think that's something that and I he might said do. He, wouldn't. he said he was going to live for years. He said he would live for a long <laughs> and time. And we always joked we, about like, we're like, he's going to outlive all of yeah, us. Yeah, we thought so, yeah. He's going to. So I have thought, as even as I prepared for this podcast, I thought I, that's something I think I'm going to do for myself. You know, I don't know if, you know, it's wise to do it alone. I was going to say, I think you should probably. Probably have somebody with me when yes. I do it. Yeah. But this goes back to the feeling weird about doing it because I have had clients. It is yeah. yeah. I have had clients that when I explain it to them, they're like, eh, no, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, okay, we will. I always, I will admit that I half-ass it. I have done this before in like a, I couch it. Like I, I sort of, I say. Um, when you say couch it, what do you mean? Give me a definition for that. Like cushion it. like Make it not so sharp edged. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, couching is like if you want to tell someone that you really care about them and you're like, I think you're cool, bro. <laughs> like you're like, you're, you're not really, you're right. not going full measure. You're right. going half measure. So mm-hmm. when I do this with clients, like I've had clients who are like expressing a really strong feeling about someone in their life. And I'll say, if they were here right now, what would you say to them? So yeah, I don't. That's, that's the technique. It though. is. That's it's a, not yeah. like uh, it's just not so it's abrupt. It's not quite and, so yeah. concrete. I mean, abrasive like, was with, the word we used. With em- abrasive is a good word for for mm-hmm. it's. But like, I, I think with with empty chair specifically, if we're talking about the gestalt technique, you literally like point at an empty chair in the right. office and say like they are sitting there. Say it to them. Right. And that's very. I think it takes a certain type of person to be able to connect with that. Right. And so I think it can be sort of overwhelming for people who aren't into that very much. I think it takes exactly what you just said, because I think it would take a very unique personality to be able to project part of your own self into that chair. Oh, yeah. I think that would be very I, difficult. I think you would have I've to never, work with them a lot on self I've never done that yeah. to that degree. I, I, I mean, for my own self, if I were to try to put part of myself in another place and talk to myself, I think that would be very difficult. Yeah. That would be a real stretch of my That's kookier than self-awareness. Like be another person for a right, second. Right. That's the way out there. Yeah. But I do, you know, I, I mean, I would have to almost give like an endorsement for empty chair mm-hmm. because I think that there are some clients that it really works for. Sure. And this goes back to what we've said before, that although we do have a main theory that is kind of what we embrace the most, mm-hmm. we use techniques from different theories. Right, from yeah. From CBT, from, you know. And so this is one of those examples like, yeah, I definitely would use this in some situations. But you got to you gotta know your client. You got to know what, what you believe is going to work for them. Right. I think a huge part of being a good counselor is being able to empathize with your client and to honestly to be able to read the room, you know. To know what's going to work yeah, in reading this. Reading the room is a very good term for it. <laughs> to know what's like, going to work. What's appropriate right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are they into? Exactly. What's going on? Right. And I don't know about you, Anna, but if as a client, I would want my counselor to take my personality and my yeah. spirituality and whatever yeah. into I, consideration. I mean, part of being a counselor is going to counseling. And some of the counseling experiences I have had have been like, this person clearly does not know what Doesn't I want or me. need right now. Right. 
this person doesn't get me. Like, yeah, yeah and that's it's always a very disheartening. Like, it, it's not like you don't like them or anything, right? Because I thought those people were lovely people, but it's that you have to. And I say this to my clients too. Like, if this isn't working, please tell me so we can like find you a therapist that you do fit with, right? Right, and that you do click with because that's important that you keep going in counseling, even if it's not with me, right? Exactly, and that, and that like finding that rapport is very important. Amen, sister. So that's the empty chair. It's empty chair. Can you tell us about like what are some of the concerns with the criticisms? It? The, yeah. the biggest criticism about Gestalt is that it is rather confrontational and challenging, and especially the way Fritz did it. I was going to say it kinda, depends on how. You yeah, you kind of you call you people out it. and the, you hold people's feet to the fire a little bit in this therapy. Yeah, I think there is a way to compassionately confront to people it. to couch it that's gonna be my new word i guess uh <laughs> i actually got that from a client they said they said couch and i was like i like, I like it. it i'm using it forever <laughs> thanks that's mine now it's my word now i made this <laughs> yeah so i i think there is a way and i think <laughs> to be couching is more of a negative term i think there's a way to approach it in more of a gentle way right that right. i i think you can because I've done this when I've like been in supervision where I said like I really don't know how to confront this person about this because I do think it is confronting. I think part of being a good therapist is being able to like not take some bullshit and to say like hey no 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 that is not going to fly in here. We need to be honest about what you're doing. That's hard for me. It's that's, hard. That's one of the hard things for me. I think it goes with compassion though. You have to. You have you, to have it's compassion. It's like tough love. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is a good word. I, I didn't, Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. But I think there's a way to do it erring more toward love. Right. I think there's a way to say this like, listen, I noticed that you're kind of saying it this way right. when really we should be confronting it this way. We mm-hmm. should be dealing with it this way. I don't want you to do yourself a disservice by not dealing with this. I mean, like there's a lot of ways to say it that are not harsh right. in their confrontation right. and i think fritz didn't care about that <laughs> like, this is what i want to do so i like, think hey, i loser <laughs> hey hey loser be the canoe idiot <laughs> and i think that would be like another thing that i would bring up about being the canoe um is that <laughs> some of these things that are a little bit more imaginative yeah. and i don't even know what the word is experimental yeah that just might not work with some people you know they might be like i don't want to be they that might be Im- ready to go there yeah i, I don't want to be that vague or that yeah. imaginative just let's talk about the shit let's talk about what's let's, going on with yeah, me yeah like, as a talk person, about, me. right which technically is the here and now sure so the so that's good it fits. but if if you take them into certain directions with gestalt you might get a little kickback might scare them away a little yeah, bit this might not work yeah. so yeah but I think that, like all theories that we talk about, there is good. There is some sure. good. Yeah. And um, and with all theories, there are some concerns. So always. Yep. What didn't we talk about? I think that might be it. I think we might be done. I think we might be done. <laughs> this. I would. I think we better like kind of go back to the the idea that self awareness that we yes. always talk about. Yeah. Is huge in Gestalt therapy. Uh-huh. It's all about that wholeness and that knowing what's going on in your here and now. And even if you think about your past, that it's, you look at your past as how is that affecting me now? It's all about self-awareness. Yeah. So it is is hugely humanistic and existentialism. Right. It really is. I think it borrows a lot from that. Right. Or 
Yeah, I mean, Carl Rogers was before this. That was sure. one of the things they were sort yeah. of drawing from. Exactly. And so I, I think a lot of it goes back to who you are, knowing who you are, and knowing how you deal with things. And right. the more you know how you deal with things, the better you can control those things uh-huh. and control your reactions and sort of figure out what's behind them. One of the things I, I like so much about psychology is I believe that you can find something like if you kind of feel like you're searching for for what, what you know, what am I missing? It's kind of like when you're hungry for something, you know what you're hungry for. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's something out there in psychology that someone has already talked about. Oh, there's that's so gonna many fit. theories. Yeah. It's going to fit what you're struggling with and you kind of take it and you go, oh, okay, well, so like maybe the empty chair thing is something that you can kind of adjust to your own and it, you, it almost becomes like a CBT technique if you think about talking about your other, like when you talk to yourself, Yeah, you frowned at me, but I mean like if you say, <laughs> Anna gave me a look, that's very uh, good here crossing the streams between yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't... Here now is Anna frowned at me saying, Mom, you are off your nut. (laughs) Again, it's that like, how much do you externalize where when I work with clients on self-talk, I work with them on really owning it, that you are talking to yourself and that your whole like... Ah, it's gestalt. Your whole self, but like part of yourself is talking to owning it. Yes. Owning it in wholeness. Ding, ding, ding. Gestalt. Yeah. There's a cross over there, baby. There but it is. The, but it was replaced with CBT. Right. So it like grew, evolved into CBT. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think the CBT people were like, this is nonsense. And they like kicked it out of the spotlight. <laughs> this is crazy experimental bullshit. <laughs> and they kicked it out. But it never hurts to talk to yourself. No. I have a lot of people who ask, if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me, is it? Does it make me crazy if I talk to myself? And I have to be like, it's actually very healthy to talk to yourself. Right, right. Let me say why. Right. People don't think that that's an okay thing, but that's a yeah. vital thing when you're talking about your self-care. It really is. And, and your self-awareness and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. people don't like it. They well, think it feels we, weird. We've been trained yeah. that it's kind of crazy to talk to yourself. That's what society has taught us. Yeah. <clears throat> but self-talk is literally... I use that word. Literally. Literally. Talking to yourself. Sometimes I overuse that word. I apologize for that. <laughs> she, she was just like, I, I listened- just listened to another episode and I used it like 25 times. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Sorry. Sorry. I was, I was grief stricken. <laughs> okay, so that's Gestalt, baby. It's Gestalt, baby. Do you want to thank the people for listening? Oh, thank you, people, for listening. <laughs> thank people. you, sipsters. We would not be Freudian sips without you. That is true. We need you. We would just be Freudian sips. We love you. There's just the one. (laughs) And and we are so excited when we hear people say, hey, I listened and I liked it and I told my friends about it. Please do tell your friends about it. Yeah. Um, Spread the news. Our, uh, when we put our merch post up on our social media, our loyal listener Kaylee was talking about how, like, she was, like, tagging people and being like, hey. Look, they have merch. That's so It was so very cool. sweet. It was very cool. That's so cool. Take some pictures of yourselves when you finally get your merch. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? Yeah. Yeah. Tweet us if you buy merch and you are wearing it. Post a picture oh, of yourself. Do. Oh, my God. Please we would do. die. We would probably die. And maybe die. with your permission, we could put it like on one of our places where lots of people could see it. 
I don't know how. See, I'm not technically. I'm not technically savvy, but Anna can figure it. it out with your permission, of course. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, thank you, Sipsters. We love you. Yes, thank you so much. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Like Mom said, we are Freudian Sips Pod on all of those things. You can also find us on our site, freudiansipspod.com. If you want to get a hold of us directly, email us at freudiansipspod at gmail.com. We are kind of currently looking for ideas on what to do next. So if you have ideas, yeah. um, message us on any of those things that I just mentioned. Email us. Any of that stuff. If you have a thing you want to hear about, a psychology thing, preferably, then email us and we will try to make it happen. Not like antique cars. I That's mean, probably, we could make it psychological. We could talk about, maybe. yeah, the psychology of liking antique cars. We could connect it. We could do it. We're also on Patreon if you want to support the show. But honestly, if you want to support the show, just buy merch right now. I'd be way more excited about that. Exactly. So just do that. Buy a shirt. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. If you want to pop over to iTunes, give us a nice rating there. That's how we get discovered, by getting more good ratings and by people thinking we are great. <laughs> and we want to be discovered. <laughs> we want to be, we want to shine like stars. Mom wants to be famous. I do. <laughs> Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.